let's talk about it. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Thick Radio, the podcast where we talk about gaming and everything in its orbit. I'm James. And I'm Tim. Let's get into this. Today, we're joined by a special guest. You know them. You love them. It's Reformed Twink. Yay. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Good. How are you today? I am pretty good on vacation. So uh, just seeing some old friends. Nice. Where are you vacationing? Or is, or is that a... Uh, in uh, tropical Rochester, New York. <laughs> as, a, as a non-American, that means nothing to me. That could, genu- <laughs> that could genuinely be tropical. I would have no clue. <laughs> yeah, it's not. <laughs> not tropical. Not. Fair and reasonable. That's for its winters. Oh, it's known for its winters? Yeah, yeah. I used to live there for seven years in like college and this job I had after college. So uh, it's a city where I've experienced a lot of stress, but also a city where I've made a lot of friends. So it's nice to go back there. You should try visiting Cleveland in January. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the Midwest. I can't even imagine what uh, like living through a Midwest winter. It's hell on earth. It's a frozen hellscape. <laughs> That's a very, very good way to put it, I think. Again, as a non-American, I'll just nod my head and go. (laughs) Trust me, it's just not fun. It's just not fun. Fair. Do you get, like, how harsh are, like, you know, uh, winters in the UK? Aren't you guys, don't you guys have a relatively mild climate? I mean, I think so. I've only been here for, like, three years, which you think would be enough to tell what seasons are like, but global warming, it's it's kind of (laughs) luck of the draw. Like, I still don't quite know what they all get on about with summer. Um, in terms of Australia, like, winter never dips below, like, nine degrees Celsius, which if I take my handy-dandy iPhone temp conversion, bear with listeners, uh, nine degrees Celsius equals 48 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Well, that's, that's how that's... I felt. <laughs> But that's barbecuing weather in Cleveland. That's yeah. like people will be out in shorts and flip-flops in 48 degree exactly. weather. That is the fifth season of the year, generally speaking. That is a very wet and rainy and humid winter. Uh, so, you know, that's that's my experience. As a pasty skin ginger, like, just no weather in Australia really suits me. <laughs> I found that as a descendant of colonizers, we're not built for you know equatorial season it's not it's not really for us is it so you know that's that's just just what that's like um so timbo what are we talking about today Uh, we're talking about a topic that i think gets kind of swept under the rug a lot we're actually talking about health and the aspects of being healthy while being a gainer or, you know, things that you have to be very well aware of as you're putting on weight. It's not something that people talk about often enough. And unfortunately, there are a lot of things that plague the gainer community. So I think that this is an important episode. Mm. I mean, realistically, uh, (laughs) there's just not enough conversation. You know, I think a lot of us really do 
really do that thing where we say, oh yeah, I know I'm being healthy. I had an avocado once three years ago. Like that's a healthy fat. <laughs> and they kind of leave it at that. But I think a lot of us have low-key acknowledged to each other uh, a hesitancy to speak with healthcare professionals when we're not feeling the best because there tends to be a reported instance of fat phobia and misdiagnoses when visiting healthcare professionals. I, I think it just feeds a lot into that kind of not putting gainers in uh, the best health position. So hopefully with some chats today, we can maybe work out some better processes and um, yeah, at least get the ball rolling on the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So with all that said, Reformed Wink, you are a biochemist by training. Is that correct? You yes, said that's correct. But you don't practice not, it at the moment? Not at the moment, no. I just work in higher education. Um, but I would say that one of the best things about a biochemical education is that it gives you a lot of, um, like, it gives you a lot of knowledge so that you can make critical decisions about your health and that you can assess and contextualize a lot of health information, you know, that comes from doctors or that is swirling around online. You know, since like nutrition, health, um, you know, the human body, it's all uh, determined by these biochemical processes that are going on. We're all just, you know, a bunch of sacks of chemicals. And once we understand how those sacks work, then, you know, we can take steps to optimize our health. Seems perfect. I mean, we're basically a biological machine. So, you know, once you understand the process of how the machine works. Exactly. Yes. Just a big old walking Petri dish. <laughs> In a <laughs> lot of ways, yes. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what's the joke? Don't don't shine one of those like police blue scanners over the bed sheets because it looks like a... Oh, like, God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could shine one of those in like the human intestine and find all sorts of interesting horrors waiting for you. Oh goodness! <laughs> and see, you know, it's it's funny, Stan, that you had that reaction because, like, that is sort of a typical reaction of someone who, like, because you know, I, I I'm a nurse, so I've seen plenty of things, and I I know what goes on inside the body, and like, so I'm very accustomed to it. And whenever, I think this is the reason why a lot of gainers don't like talking about health, because sometimes like unsavory or gross things can come up, but you know, it's still, it's something that like you, you, you have to be aware of it so that you can potentially avoid it, you know? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, digestive issues. That's a common problem among gainers that most people simply don't want to talk about or acknowledge, but uh, these issues that people are hesitant to talk about can really reduce the quality and length of a person's life. And so um, I think when it comes to healthy gaining, the real secret is to just anticipate health problems before they arise and start taking steps because it's easier to prevent than it is to treat a lot of these problems. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Like there's no real secret then to like, ooh, make sure you have banana chips with every meal or put like psyllium husks to make sure you've got enough fiber. It's truly just being sensible, looking at what evidence and information is out there yeah. and making a plan to maybe see your doctor more regularly than you might've done in the past, just to touch base on things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, 
Honestly, and one of the things that I like to do in trying to get big and trying to stay healthy is that um, I don't avoid eating a lot of unhealthy foods, like, you know, just because I, I tend to be the most calorically dense um, and are therefore really necessary for gaining weight. But one of the things that I like to, one of my first um, pieces of advice is to eat a lot of healthy food in addition to the unhealthy stuff. So a lot of unhealthier foods, you know, like, stuff from uh, fast food places, um, stuff that you would find in the freezer section. Uh, the problem with them isn't just that they have a lot of calories. The problem with them is also that they are deficient in a lot of the key nutrients, like micronutrients that are critical for keeping us healthy. Um, like most people in the world, and especially in uh, Western countries tend to be deficient in like a wide range of the minerals and vitamins that we need uh, for optimal health. And so a lot of the strategy that I've just sort of been feeling out as I go along is to just make sure that if I'm going to be eating the junk, then I'm going to be supplying my body with all of the stuff that it needs in addition to the junk so that um, at least as I'm going along, like micronutrient deficiencies don't become a huge problem. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, let's be honest, health is a subject that a lot of gainers ignore. I think because, and maybe this is a critique of typical gainer culture, a lot of us have that mentality of wanting to gain as fast as possible, you know, as the focus, rather than focusing on gaining with longevity or with health in mind. I mean, just putting it out there, what would you say are some of the most common health issues that will crop up for someone who's prioritizing oh there are there are many uh gaining you know one of i think one of my things about gaining is that if you're going to make the decision to gain you need to make an informed decision so uh basically you need all of the information that surrounds the health problems that can come with putting on weight before you actually make a commitment to doing it because otherwise you won't really understand uh, what you're getting into specifically, but gaining weight can, you know, predispose you to heart disease. It can predispose you to cancer. Um, it can predispose you to diabetes. Um, it can cause joint problems. Um, it can lead to inflammation, which can actually contribute to mental illnesses like depression. Um, it can interfere with sleep, uh, which in turn can, you know, just causes a cascade that can lead to a whole bunch of other health problems. Um, and so a lot of my strategy to stay healthy has been individually anticipating each of these health issues before they arise. And I try to take steps to reduce them. Um, and I think that's a strategy, why it's really beneficial for gainers is that actually like, if you take steps to stay healthy while you're gaining, um, like you'll be able to actually get to a bigger size in the long run because your body can actually sustain a, a larger weight without you feeling like complete crap all the time. So you'll feel better. Um, you will certainly probably live longer. And uh, like, I think you, it will just be a more enjoyable experience overall because like gaining is great. Like it's a pretty critical part of my like personality and my sexuality but I don't feel that it should have to compromise all of the other areas in my life uh, in order for me to enjoy that. You know what I mean? 
Absolutely. I think it, it's much like any other aspect. Like if, if you have a job, a job that's very demanding of you, sure, you want to commit to your job, work your job, do it excellently. But if your job gets to the point where you don't have a healthy work-life balance, then the job isn't doing good for you. And you need to reconsider and adjust how you approach it, speak with your managers if need be. Um, but with gaining, of course, it all comes down to us and our own personal responsibility. No one's looking after our gaining journey except ourselves. I mean, Tim, yeah. you're also a gainer who, as you say, is is a nurse and has worked in the medical profession for a long time. Like, how have you best approached maintaining your health while gaining? You know, I kind of go in, in spurts with this because there are times when I'm not focusing on it at all. And I'm getting, you know, like, you know how we say that there are so many gainers who focus on trying to get fat as fast as possible. I fell into that trap too, mostly because I would go onto social media platforms like Grammar or Instagram, and I would see gainers that I was following just seemingly blowing up overnight. You know, within a couple of months, they were doubling their weight. And I was like, well, why can't I do that? And so, you know, then I would focus on, oh, I got to keep on my calorie um, intake. It's got to stay up. It's got to be at, at like 3000 calories a day, or this is never going to work out. And, <clears throat> and then I'd get frustrated when I wouldn't see progress. And I'd be like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to maintain whatever. I don't care anymore. And then I would go like, try to, again, focus on my health. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird, delicate balance that you have to walk in order to, you know, accomplish both things. Like I do still <laughs> exercise a little bit. I still do a light amount of cardio. And I always said to myself, because of my profession, I need to stay under a certain amount of weight or should my weight gain begin to interfere with my job, I need to stop because I don't like, like uh, reformed was saying, you know, you can develop joint problems. And like, if my knees are hurting too much, my ankles are hurting too much, my back is hurting too much. And a code gets called. If I have to respond to a code blue, I do not want to be late. I don't want my weight gain to affect me being able to save someone's life. I think that also kind of comes down to, you know, people of more extreme weights, you know, who uh, people who might need a carer, people who might need any other kind of personal assistance to kind of function and go throughout their day, you know, it's worth considering and addressing the fact that you need people to help. Maybe ask the question, are you, are you really comfortable with having someone change your pooey nappies? Are you really comfortable? someone emptying your bedpan and injecting into your stomach and having to lift up folds that you can no longer reach because you're bed bound in order to sponge clean you and treat fungal infections you know like you've really got to be frank and honest and I think you know even mentioning something as simple as like oh changing your pooey nappies like maybe we need to be more frank within the community talking about these things it's a thing that happens and shying away from that conversation probably doesn't help new gainers to assess their wants and needs and probably doesn't help people who actually have that lived experience feel comfortable to share it and feel like they can connect with people on that kind of a level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that all, when people completely ignore, um, you know, the health aspect of gaining it, you know, allows our community to sort of be painted as a straw man by people outside who really aren't looking to understand us. They're really just looking to, you know, criticize us and make us into, you know, some sort of internet freak show. Um, like, I know that if I, for a while, when I would type in the term gainer in Google, like it would only talk about 
these really extreme cases often where someone uh you know like ended up dying because of that like their participation in you know gainer activities or like you know gainer adjacent kinks um and so uh when we completely gloss over any topic of like health it i think can often scare away people who are interested in the community but you know aren't quite sure if they want to dip their toe in the water um and it can really give every like it really can really give everyone this mistaken impression um that all gainers are just complete hedonists with no regard for anything else in their life. You know what I mean? Mm. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I think it's as good a time as any to address it. You know, there is a subgroup in the gaining community and I think, uh, you know, they go by many names, uh, but I think death fetists is uh, the common one. They're a group of people who effectively want to gain unhealthily intentionally, I think with a very clear goal how would you suggest that these individuals look after themselves more effectively considering the style of gaining that they're approaching? Oh, that's a different, that's a difficult question. I'm, my stand, my personal stance on death feeding, and I, I apologize if this comes across as derogatory or negative to any members of our community. I don't want to kink shame anyone. Um, I, don't know that death fetism is really compatible with ideas on healthy gaining. Uh, like wow. one is about you know intentionally becoming unhealthy, and the other is about you know as being as healthy as possible and harm reduction when you're actually gaining weight. Um, and so when someone engages in, uh, I don't really want to say I don't really want to create a false dichotomy or anything, but when someone talks it's it really has to be one or the other because uh it depending on what you're comfortable with and depending on what you do um it can be really hard to be healthy while also being unhealthy it's just they're kind of mutually incompatible ideas mm. you're absolutely right it is kind of the antithesis of the whole point and in retrospect I probably shouldn't have included that question it's just it does sometimes come up because like I know a few gamers personally that um are intentionally trashing their bodies like that is part of yeah yeah I know like you know like uh, I think it comes down to the fact that everyone seems to connect with this kink in their own like in their own ways and so um for me, this kink is kind of a validation of like this uh, animalistic, you know, masculine part of me. It just feels so, it's, it feels very sexually empowering. Um, uh, it makes me feel, you know, strong. It makes me feel manly, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but for some people, they connect with gaining in a way like through submission uh, and humiliation, stuff like that. Um, and so depending on how, um, like for me, I want to basically be as big as possible while still retaining my health and mobility. Um, because I, you know, really enjoy the thought of being large, but that isn't as appealing to me if my, like, I can't live a dignified existence, like, and participate in a lot of the other activities that go along with life. Um, but some people, you know, they connect with it in this different way. And like, 
that, I guess, loss of agency, that submission, that sort of humiliation and the unhealthiness, it, like that is what connects with their sexuality. And that's how they express their interest in gaining. And so it comes like, uh, when I talk about like death fetism with, uh, you know, disapproval, um, I don't want to say that their, you know, preferences are completely invalid. I just think that it's easy to make these decisions now um, before like years before you have to deal with any of the consequences. And obviously like, I'm sure a lot of those people enjoy a lot of short-term pleasure. You can't discount the value of that. Mm. However, um, thinking long-term, I think if a lot of people follow that road to where it inevitably leads, um, they will find that the overall enjoyment that they were able to get out of life um, was greatly diminished by death feeding. Um, so that's my general stance on it. I don't want to shame anyone who's into it. It's just not for me in particular. And I think gaining in general should always be a choice and always something that you question. I think that's true whether you're a death fetist or someone like me who tries to um, stay relatively healthy while I gain. Um, so I, yeah, like I said, I don't want to, kink shame anyone but i would urge them to try to think about the decision in the long term i mean to me it doesn't come across as kink shame i think like you say there is that sort of quintessential parting of the ways when it's like an unhealthy style of gaining how do you be healthy when you're unhealthy uh, how do you how do you stay dry when you're wet you know how do you <laughs> how do you uh, get a suntan at nighttime like it's very how do you how do you do the impossible i think there's the question that I thought of think, which is, you know, some people who are into death fetism, you know, is it just a fantasy? Do you just get off to it? Because I'll be frank, I do. I get aroused by the idea. I look at the pornography and I jerk off and then I come and then I'm like, oh, that was great. I don't want to look at that right now. Like I've done my my bit and now I'm prepared to go about my day as if it never, you know what I mean? And that's how I know that it's not something I'm ever going to genuinely pursue because I understand that aspect of myself. And I think for some people, maybe it is just the fantasy and it is important to understand that aspect of yourself. You know, what are you genuinely working towards? Your lifestyle in terms of health is something that you're looking at over a period of years, days, weeks, months, years, not just this one feeding session that you're having like right now. Like sure, this one feeding session right now guzzling down all that ice cream and slurping up all that pizza is probably not going to do you in, but it's worth considering the long run. I think, yeah. what is it? Uh, there's like a, not to be that, not to be that fag, but there's like a line in Hamilton where he says, what is a legacy? A legacy is planting a garden that you don't get to see, you know? And I think that also rings true for the things that we do now to sustain our health in the long run, you know? making those healthy choices now you don't see the immediate results you're never going to because that's not what they do that's not how they work the point is that by the time you reach an age where maybe some people are struggling you're not struggling yeah 
Yeah. And with certain things, there can be a more um, immediate payoff in terms of health benefits. One of the things that I think all gainers should really consider doing is implementing some sort of strength training routine, especially with regards to their core and their legs. Um, because, you know, those are obviously really important areas to keep strong and to sort of reinforce um, if your body is going to be able to handle all the extra weight. So um, I put a big emphasis um, in the exercises that I do. Um, I put a big emphasis on core strength and on leg strength. And as a result, like um, when I was skinny, I was not really a healthy skinny. Um, I actually had back pain when I was like, I think it was at my skinniest. I was like 155 te- uh, pounds, but I was rail thin. Um, and so I would like be standing all day and I would have back pain. Um, but now that I'm actually like, I'm nearing 290 at this point, uh, I actually have less back and joint pain than I ever have in my entire life. Um, just because I've specifically set out to exercise and reinforce those areas mm-hmm. with muscle. Um, and so a lot of it is long-term health stuff that you won't really see the benefit of right away, but there are some short-term things that will probably improve your quality of life in the present as well as in the future. One thing that I always push with everyone, you know, that's into gaining, um, especially the bigger you get, take extra care of your feet because your feet Mm -hmm. are the furthest away from your heart. And, you know, God forbid you should get diagnosed with something like type two diabetes, a small cut on your foot can become a very big problem. And so to make sure that your feet are well, are well-groomed, moisturized, if, and even if you're too big to clip your own toenails anymore, schedule yourself a pedicure every two weeks or find a podiatrist, but like take care of your feet. Cause I have seen some, some stuff. <laughs> I mean, we, we all hear stories. We all see the Facebook chains that get uh, sent around, you know, a friend of a friend who had a doctor who had a nurse, like saw this mangled foot in, in the ER once. And it looks like they've got 12 toes with mushrooms sprouting and growths and things that need to be hacked off. And I don't know, just it's, it's those things where you never think to yourself, God, I wonder where that came from. But considering the level of extreme that some of us are looking to transform our bodies, it may come from food diet and a lack of exercise. So like you say, it's, it's worth, it's just worth keeping an eye on and, you know, boil it down to a self-care day. Like, is there anything wrong with going to a spa and like having your bits looked at? You know, I don't think so. Just like Homer Simpson, get a, get a delightful small person to walk on your back and, you know, giggle as they get sucked <laughs> into the quicksand effect. <laughs> what form does that ever happen to you? Have you ever had a small person be sucked into your fat folds? Is that, Happened to you yet? Uh, no, but that's my greatest like aspiration. Absolutely. <laughs> you, want, you want to be laying there on the bed. We ask you the question. We'll do a follow-up interview in 10 years and you roll over and there's just like one little hand like. <laughs> it's just like a mummified corpse. In my <laughs> You're like, I just keep it around as a memento. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of weight you've put on just actually crushes them into a pure diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Love that. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Actual wait. At that point, it's not about the health. It's just what can I do to better service the diamond industry? You know? <laughs> oh goodness. To set up a competing interest to the diamond industry. Absolutely. You know, it's the follow-up industry that gainers never thought to look at. We conquered health and fitness and now 
jewelry <laughs> and, lux- <laughs> and luxury wear. <laughs> um, um, I love this. <laughs> I mean, I often find that like you've got to be able to joke about these things. Uh, who was I having a conversation with recently? I made a I made a joke because they were like, oh God, it's so hot today and I feel so sweaty. I'm like, yeah, you do, you fatty. And they were like, that's not funny. I really struggle with sweat. And I'm like, babe, you're like 320 pounds. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't think this is a unique lived experience to, to be <laughs> a sweatier person at 20 pounds. I think you just need to learn to own it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like in my in terms of my general philosophy, even for stuff like outside of health um, and gaining, I want to fully acknowledge all of the bad um, along with all the stuff that I like while I'm making the decision. I never want to be deluding myself into uh, like thinking that all of these downsides, which you know you guys have pointed out, don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I take steps to try to mitigate those downsides um, so that I can maximize the enjoyment without, uh, you know, getting all of those negative uh, consequences down the line or hopefully preventing at least some of them. There's no, you know, obviously 100% preventative measures when it comes to health, but... Doing your best. Yeah. One bloated foot in front of the other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, here's a question for you, because obviously you don't practice at the moment, but <coughs> studied. It's the supposed goal of healthcare professionals and scientists to have everyone reach their optimal level of health and maintain that. Being honest, do you think it's possible to have an open and honest conversation with your healthcare advisor about your intentions to gain weight? So I actually have at one point in the past um and my like not the not the doctor that i'm currently seeing uh but so i just prefaced it by saying this is gonna be weird but like here is what i want to do given that do you think it's possible for me to take step like uh and actually like his he was actually very nonchalant about it he's like that is far from the weirdest thing that i've heard Um, And so in that instance, um, I actually found him to be kind of supportive, Um, not necessarily that he approved of it, but that he accepted me anyway, and that he was interested in harm reduction. Um, But I don't know that that will be the case with most medical professionals that you encounter. Um, And so it's certainly a topic that you have to, you know, broach with some care just because uh, some medical professionals uh, aren't going to entertain that idea at all. Um, and it can really cause a breakdown in like the doctor patient relationship. Um, but I think it the... really... Oh, sorry. You were saying? Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, what's um, odd about that specifically is like, okay, so, you know, I'm a nurse and I've been around other, you know, I work with other nurses, been around other doctors. There's quite a few of us nurses that are overweight and some that are morbidly obese. And I even briefly dated a doctor who was a gainer. He was a cardiac doctor and he was a gainer and he was a smoker. So it was like, oh my goodness. I kind of was like, I I never (laughs) actually sat down to have the conversation with him about like, isn't this a little hypocritical? But you know, it was like, I, there are people who like, as much as, as us healthcare people are supposed to be like the lead by example, we're really not. 
you know, we're just as complicated and fucked up as everybody else. And like, we all have our own wants and desires too. And like, you know, I might be telling a person who has um, specific illnesses due to their weight, you know, being like, well, you can't do that. You, you got, you know, but then I, I'm doing it myself. So it, it, it's a weird space to inhabit. And you all put the the hip in hypocrisy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's a question about y'all, because you guys are like somewhat medically trained. Do y'all have like a fascination with popping pimples? Because I do not. Because, okay, th- this must be a thing back home then, because everyone I knew that was a fucking nurse or a whoever, like, it's that whole thing about like squeezing a pimple, like this weird satisfaction, right? Like, I had one on my shoulder once back at like the job when I worked in scheduling healthcare, and there were like the nurses in the thing, and like, I was just... Psh- minding my damn business and one of the nurses happened to walk past she was like oh james you've got a you got a little pimple happening back there i was like oh do i i couldn't see it and they're like no no just let me just let me have a look at it and then she called over like all the other nurses and they were like yeah, yeah that looks-. <laughs> they were like rummaging in their kits and i'm like jesus fucking christ like stop this but like literally i hadn't even noticed they'd like anesthesized the spot and then like with a little scalpel just went and like got it all like swapped out and did all that. And then there was a band-aid on me and I didn't know what was happening, but like <laughs> they, no. they said it's like a nurse thing. They're like, yeah, all nurses love, love like a popped pimple. And I'm like, like no, I'd rather, I'd rather change a colostomy bag. <laughs> I, 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 I do not like pimple popping. <laughs> Reformed. What about you? Pimple pop or change? The I enjoy popping my own pimples. It's, you know, it's one of the, it's the tactile satisfaction in doing it. I don't really get pimples anymore that much, though, so alas, uh, it's not really something I think. Well, that, I'm very uh, jealous you know, of that. You I'm able that. To... <laughs> because I'm 38 <laughs> and I still get pimples. I have like one or two on my back, but they're not very fun to pop. Now I can it's, imagine. Uh, it's disappointing. You got to do the Simpsons thing where you take like the greasy chicken wing and just like rub it somewhere where you know you can access it for later. <laughs> like cult, just cult. sort of cultivate my own little farm of them. Exactly. It's, it's kind of funny that like I would find that particular thing so gross, and yet I have had to deal with like really gnarly wounds before. You know, like I've had to change dressings on some pretty intense wounds, and that does not give me pause. Like I don't get grossed out by that but the thought of like popping someone else's it just like sends me into shivers (laughs) i'm the exact opposite i'm very squeamish about blood um but when it comes to like zit popping once i had a friend who had this condition called hydradenitis supportiva which is basically where you get these like this painful cystic acne um Mm -hmm. and it can actually be quite life-threatening and so Mm -hmm. um he was going through treatment for that um and it was getting a lot better but he just had like a few holdout sits on his face and so finally one day i'm like can i pop those and he's like uh fine (laughs) went through did that and then cleaned them out and bandaged them it was uh it's not something i'm proud of but (laughs) it happened (laughs) <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about like some typical uh, health bits and pieces that gainers might run into like what what do i want to say here what would you say are some of the biggest concerns 
that gainers should be keeping an eye out for in terms of their health? And what are some simple ways that maybe they can go about trying to prevent them? Um, so I would say heart disease is a big problem. Type two diabetes is a big problem. Mm -hmm. Um, problems with sleep. That's another issue. And then you need to just be generally proactive about managing your cancer risk, because, uh, when you eat a very high sugar diet, it, you know, raises your blood glucose. And there's this principle in, uh, cancer biology, that's um, been well-established for quite a long time called the Warburg effect. Um, it states that basically cancer cells are very, very, very hungry for glucose um, because they use it not just for energy, but to also make all of the other things that they uh, need in order to proliferate. Um, so when you eat a really high sugar diet um, and you're not you know, managing your blood sugar at all, it can actually encourage cancers to, uh, it can produce inflammation that can cause cancer in the first place. And it can encourage other existing cancers to metastasize, you know, basically to spread out more quickly. Um, and so if you look at those, uh, you know, areas that I mentioned, um, cancer risk, sleep, uh, heart disease, uh, and diabetes, uh, there's a lot of specific steps that you can take in each one. Like for cancer risk, I am really uh, anal about like applying sunscreen before I go out and expose myself to the sun, uh, just because skin cancer is among the most common causes of like types of cancers in the world. Um, I always try to eat lots of antioxidant packed vegetables. So like just eating broccoli, there's been so much research that's shown that eating broccoli three to four times a week is associated with a like very, very large, like 30 to 40%. Actually, I'm, I would need to look at the exact numbers before I cite any specifics, but very large reductions in cancer risk. So uh, that like, that's something that you can definitely do like sun protection, protecting yourself, uh, like by eating antioxidant packed foods, um, maybe just buying an air filter for your house, so that you can reduce your risk of uh, lung cancer from environmental pollution. Um, things like that can really go a long way in stopping cancer before it starts. Another thing with type 2 diabetes is obviously the, uh, you can exercise. Exercise is because it sort of causes your cells to be more sensitive to insulin. Um, like one of the drivings behind type 2 diabetes is the fact that insulin is a hormone that causes your cells to um, absorb glucose. And in type two diabetic people, a lot of times those cells uh, stop listening to insulin when it you know, comes a knocking to let in the glucose. But when you exercise, you actually cause your cells to be more hungry for glucose. So cells that ordinarily would be uh, resistant to insulin suddenly are a lot more receptive to, to it and um, are a lot more willing to uptake glucose. Um, just because you are using up their energy stores um, and they need to replace it. So exercise is a really great way, um, especially if you, uh, I mean, like there's a cardio component that's uh, really great. And then there's also the functional component, um, but that is really great at controlling your blood sugar. You can also eat, like if you're eating a lot of junk, but you keep a high fiber diet, that can really moderate how 
quickly your body actually absorbs glucose. Um, like it could cause it to diffuse more slowly. So you don't get huge spikes in blood sugar. Um, and you get uh, a more steady absorption of it that doesn't cause massive problems with insulin. That's why uh, like fruits have sugar in them, but that's part of why it's, they're so well tolerated in the body is because they're packed with um, good things like fiber uh, that help to moderate how quickly it diffuses into the blood or is absorbed into the blood. With regard to health to heart disease, um, there are a few things you can do. Like obviously uh, exercise is one of them. Um, I think I, what I like to do with, I like to keep like to monitor my blood pressure um, and my blood sugar uh, at home. And then I also do try to do a cholesterol test every time that I go to the doctor. Um, and so I just want to generally see that those things are being kept in check so that I can reduce my risk of heart disease. Um, and uh, it also, like, I like to track my blood pressure on a daily basis. And that has also really made me aware of, like, how certain foods or behaviors might, you know, raise or lower my blood pressure. Um, and so that's been really good uh, for, you know, working to avoid those types of issues. And what was the last thing that I said? I, I, I am losing my train of thought here. <laughs> That's okay. I was, I was basically going to echo everything that, that you've just been saying, like, like everything you've said is on point, you know, diabetes is something that does stalk the gamer community because type two is acquired, whereas type one is what you're born with. And <clears throat> You know, diabetes interferes with your circulation. It really wreaks havoc on the body. Um, the sleep uh, problems that you mentioned that a lot of gainers develop sleep apnea oh, yeah. due to the weight gain and sleep apnea yeah, can right. be very that dangerous. Was, was you can actually um, suffocate to death in your sleep. Like I had sleep apnea even when I was skinny. Like uh, they can't figure out what the source of my apnea is. So like, even when I was only 125 pounds, I had it. So I've had a CPAP since before. Huh? Like when you're skinny and you have apnea, like it's usually because your nasal passageways are too thin or, or too narrow. They couldn't figure it out. Like I asked, is it a deviated septum? They're like, no, your septum's okay. Um, so the explanation that they gave me, which is one of those bullshit medical answers that I'm accustomed to giving sometimes, it's like, they're like, well, we think that your body just relaxes too much and it blocks off like the back of my throat, my soft palate. They think that that's what's blocking the airway. And they were like, there's two options for that. Either we can correct it with surgery or you can get a CPAP. And I'm like, which is cheaper? They're like the CPAP. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a lot of what you're saying really resonates with me in terms of like, not, not to be that, but it almost seems just like a lot of the obvious, you know, like, do you get any exercise? No, maybe try and get some exercise. You know, is there any like fruit and veg in your diet? no maybe have a look at that like are you checking in with like maybe not going to the doctor but just buying like a blood pressure monitor like are you tr at least trying to to keep an eye on your shit so that you can manage it yourself if you're feeling so inclined like it's yeah yeah my biggest problem personally is salt i salt everything and if it's not salt then i'm putting soy sauce on it which is again just nothing but sodium Salt is an acquired taste. We do not actually, we are not born 
craving salty things. And like that is specifically an acquired taste from your diet. And I friggin' love salt. I will put it all over every damn thing I eat. <laughs> and I have to cut that out because I already have genetically predisposed high blood pressure. I'm on medication for it. And yet here I am dumping, uh, you know, all this, like, like Matt, my boyfriend, whenever I make popcorn, he's like, let me have it before you put the salt all over it. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <can> I, <laughs> I'm very. Um, I'll make. I actually do have a piece of practical information with regard to that. The reason why it causes high blood pressure is because it actually causes an increase in blood volume. I'm sure you know you're. Uh, yeah. It causes an increase in blood volume. Um, and you know the extra volume of your blood plate pl pl places additional strain on your circulatory system. But mm -hmm. one one way that I think um is often overlooked um and like instead of just reducing sodium, a thing that you can sort of do is add more potassium to your diet. So potassium allows your kidneys to excrete more sodium. And so by eating like a lot of potassium, you're actually lowering the amount of uh sodium in your blood. And so I've noticed that very potassium rich foods can, um, like I try to incorporate them a lot and that does seem to have a noticeable effect on my blood pressure. And, I, and to, to, to a degree, yes. I, but when I bring that up with other healthcare professionals, they're like, you also have to be very careful about too much potassium because if your potassium level is too high, you can have a heart attack. If it's too low, you can have a heart attack. That's why they True. often don't like you to substitute that like, cause they make a salt substitute. Like it, you can yeah, buy it at yeah. a grocery store and it's basically just that it's, it's um, granulated potassium, but then they say, well, okay, but don't use too much because if you do. Yeah. <clears throat> um, one of the, my response to that would be just that like the recommended daily amount of potassium is like, I think five or 6,000 milligrams. Mm -hmm. And most people don't come anywhere near that. And that's so, true. Yeah. Uh, but I try to get up closer to that limit um, without, you know, exceeding it. Uh, one of the things that I drink for that is actually coconut water. That seems to help a lot because it has so much potassium. Mm -hmm. um, when I get up to that without, you know, like going crazy, um, it's because it's, I, I actually think it's probably, it's very hard to meet the recommended daily amount. So most people I would say are probably, uh, not at risk for you know exceeding it too yeah. much yeah no i understand i do want to ask and this is probably going to be one of like the sort of like clincher questions i think that people might be interested in do you think it's ever going to be possible for the health and fitness industry to kind of live and let live with fat people and gainers or do you reckon we're probably always going to be fighting the system there is a big movement among dietitians um, to advocate for something called intuitive eating. Right. Um, and so intuitive eating isn't a, a weight loss diet. What it is, is basically a, like a mind body framework. Um, and the basic premise is that rather than following a restrictive diet, like restrictive dieting is harmful and uh, often laden with, laden with fat phobia. And mm -hmm. so rather than following a restrictive diet, um, you basically just learn to, you, you don't restrict any foods, but you basically just learn to listen to your body's natural hunger cues mm. because like a lot of the symptoms of craving and whatnot, uh, are actually caused by, um, the fact that we often restrict a lot of foods. Um, like I've noticed that now that I no longer 
restrain myself from eating ice cream, you know, cause I'm gaining, I often don't really seek it out that much anymore. Um, okay. And uh, another part of that, that's become uh, a, I think a really positive force for change in the healthcare industry is this um, idea called health at every size. Um, right. Basically don't pathologize fat. Like, like fat is correlated with a lot of health problems, but that doesn't all like often it's, due to a set of behaviors that fat people can actually change, but that it like some of them might not necessarily be caused by being fat itself. You know what I mean? Um, so it's more like an approach to change your lifestyle or your bad habits as opposed to going on some kind of crash diet or. Yeah. With the, with the sole intention of uh, losing weight, like the, I think it's, the medical community has often labored under the misconception that overweight automatic, like that, you know, the Venn diagram between overweight and unhealthy is a circle. They, that's mm. how a lot of them have thought in the past, but that's not necessarily true. Mm. Um, and so, uh, and it's actually, you know, really harmful to a lot of patients because then they simply uh, don't feel comfortable you know, like accessing medical care. And so there's been a lot of acknowledgement of that within like the medical communities and with among dietitians. There are actually um, a few dietitians that um, I follow on YouTube who are really big into intuitive eating and health at every size and fat, and, and fat acceptance. Um, yeah. And so there are certain, there are certain uh, wings in those community, like in the medical community that are very reasonable and, um, you know, willing to acknowledge the humanity of fat people instead of just reducing us down to something that they presume is a disease. Is there anyone that you would recommend that listeners could go and follow? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Abby Sharp on YouTube. That's A-B-B-E-Y, just Sharp. She did, did this great video about intuitive eating um that really explained the framework and got me interested in it honestly like just gave me a lot of optimism about uh the future of healthcare in general just because it was such a um uh, such a well articulated explanation of what uh is a honestly I think a good guiding philosophy for most people so while I don't do intuitive intuitive eating now um because obviously I'm gaining I'm intentionally ignoring my fullness cues to uh, gain weight. I think I would never go back to restrictive dieting again uh, for that reason. I think I would just switch to intuitive eating. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, we do have a listener question, which reads, oh, let me pull that up. Listener question, how often should gainers go and see a doctor? Oh, that's a good question. I think, um, Certainly at least once a year. Um, it really depends on how, like, if you're noticing any issues come up, um, I guess. If you start noticing issues like with high blood pressure, high blood sugar, um, a lot of times you won't know about those things until you go to a doctor. So at least once a year. But then if you, um, like, in order to help manage those uh, conditions, it's often very useful to see your doctor more frequently so that they can have a, you know, a greater hand in like forming your strategy for improving your health. So I go to the doctor like three or four times a year. Um, I also, uh, like 
have struggled a lot with mental illness, um, and which is actually something I forgot to bring up earlier in the video. I've struggled a lot with mental illness, and I'd like to see a psychiatrist like three or four times a year uh, for that as well. So I think um, it's always good to have a healthy dialogue going with your like medical professionals. Uh, and so, well, I, I don't encourage being a hypochondriac, I think um, seeing or at least being able to commu communicate with them on a regular basis is a good idea if, that, if you plan to gain. I would agree. I would say, you know, try to stick to at least twice a year checkup if you are within relative health. I mean, again, everyone's a bit different. And like Reform was saying, if you notice that you're starting to have a problem with these things and like speaking from experience, when I started having problems with my blood pressure, <clears throat> you know, I noticed that I was having like dizzy spells. Like I would be just standing there at the nurse's station, minding my own business. All of a sudden this wave of dizziness would hit me and I would feel like my pulse was going up and uh, I would feel jittery. And so, you know, after a couple of weeks, I finally went to my doctor and they're like, well, we're going to run a blood pressure panel on you. They took it like five times to get an average and they found like it was ridiculously high. So they're like, yeah, we need to put you on medication for this. And so say like, if you're, if you think that you might be experiencing problems with your blood sugar, good symptoms to look out for is like when your blood sugar is high, you're going to feel very hot. You're going to feel dry because it's a dry heat. So keep this in mind, hot and dry blood sugar high. Um, and, you know, and it's, you know, if you're feeling, you know, and if you're feeling any kind of way, like, like we said, don't become a hypochondriac because we all know what happens when people go and visit Dr. Google, but you know, if you listen to your body and if you know, there's something wrong, definitely go get it checked out and get blood levels drawn, you know, ask your doctor as you reach certain ages, what they think is appropriate to start testing you for just always stay on top of it. Makes a lot of sense. And that's. Brings us to the end of our episode this week. Reformed, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so flattered that you guys asked. Aww. Well, where can people find you? Uh, I am on Instagram and on Grammar, if you guys are interested. Um, I like to post a lot of, uh, you know, content there. Um, and I don't really want to bring this up just because it seems uh, inappropriate. But if you are interested, I do have been OnlyFans as well, but like, you know, not no, feel deal. free to shamelessly plug yourself. It's fine. You've had people do it before. We're not a gaming conglomerate that has rules about what you can and cannot say that seem completely subjective until it actually affects you and then gets all weird about things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Grommer and Instagram at uh, Reform Twink. Is that is that your only fans as well at Reform Twink? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If it must be mentioned. <laughs> it absolutely must be mentioned. We we shall not have it any other way. But that brings us to the end of our episode this week. Remember to like and subscribe, rate, review, give us five stars. As always, you can find me on Grommer and Instagram at Stanham and Twitter and YouTube at Stanham G. And you can find me on Grammar as Orpheus. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube as Thicky Mouse. And you can find more of what we've talked about today on Instagram and Patreon at Thick Radio. And we're also now on Twitter and TikTok. Yes. At Thick Radio. So uh, until next time, <laughs> bye, fats. bye, fats. Bye. Let's talk about it. Radio is a Patreon and Anchor app podcast.
Produced by Saturn and Vicky Mouse. Next and Master by Saturn. Our artwork is provided by Lokitu. Our theme song is provided by Spotify Cream.